Good morning, church. How is everybody this uh, Sunday after Easter? You doing well? There you go. There you go. I like the energy this morning. Grab your Bibles, turn to Romans 10, and we will continue this discussion, and we'll look at two verses that I think really help assist us in evaluating this sort of dialogue. And part of what uh, I want you to know is that this is actually our last Sunday in Romans for a while. We're going to take a little break after today, and we'll come back to it in the summer, and we're actually going to finish the book of Romans in the summer. Can I get an amen? Those of you that are like, please, get us into something else, right? Uh, We'll finish it in the summer. It's going to be a great opportunity because when you get to chapters 12 through 16 in the book of Romans, so much of it is focused on practical living. Now, we'll we'll finish 10 and 11 to, to continue that conversation about Israel and its role, but then we'll get through the summer to really focus on 12 through 16. And as we talked about, our theme this year is about being courageous. And when you get to those practical chapters in the later part of Romans, it it covers so many different ways of how you just live courageously according to the gospel. So we'll get to that, but we're going to pause for a moment and spend the rest of the several weeks of the spring semester to turn our attention to that topical series that I've been referencing on truth. How do you discern truth? How do you find truth? How do you share truth? That's going to be what guides our conversation for the next several weeks. I'm very, very excited about that and hope you'll join us. Uh, in those the conversations. Then we get to the other side of the summer. We get to the fall. We're going to have more topical discussions on what does it mean to find a courageous identity in Christ? How do we find courageous purity through Christ? And then courageous mission as well. So a lot of great things on the horizon that I'm really excited about. But today we'll get to cap off our journey in 10, at least hit the pause button on it this morning, with two of my favorite verses in the entire letter. Uh, you heard Martha read them earlier. Let's read them again Uh, together for a moment here. Chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. Paul says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? For as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Love this passage. So basically what you have here, starting in verse 14, is that in verse 13, Paul has referenced the book of Joel, saying everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when he makes that assertion, right, again, that this calling out uh, is going to lead to the saving work of Jesus Christ, it triggers a series of rhetorical questions that ultimately explains how you get to that point of calling out and experiencing that salvation. And, and you can kind of just see that progression, that you call out because you believe. You believe because you've heard. You've heard because someone has preached. Someone has preached because they were sent. And, and it's a beautiful progression, and I just want us to work through it this morning. Very simply, uh, very briefly, as we just kind of hit each and every one of those elements that Paul presents in these series of questions. And we'll go in the order that he provides it. And so when you think first about our response to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection that the first thing that we see Paul reference here and that he had just transitioned from Joel by referencing is the idea of calling on the name of the Lord. And we didn't dive into that in great detail last week. Uh, but, but what I want us to reflect upon this morning is that when we hear that word call, it ultimately means to summon or to, to call, to, to ultimately cry for help. And I think there's a lot of things that we need to connect with that. Uh, when you cry out for help, for something, you typically call upon people that you believe can actually help you, correct? I mean, that, that's fundamental 
to the call. It is, again, rooted in faith. You rarely call out to folks that you think do not have an ability to help you. So, so when you face a certain crisis, be it fire, medical, be it criminal, what number do you call? You, you call 911. Why is that? Because you know that the person you're calling actually has the ability to help you. They have a certain expertise that they can provide to that specific situation that is going to provide rescue. When you face those sorts of crises, right, and you face a fire situation or a medical situation or a criminal situation, you ain't picking up the phone to call your elementary school teacher, right? You're just not. You're like, no, this is who I call because I know they can meet the specific need. Uh, When children fall and scrape their knees, they're calling out for mom and dad. Why? Because mom and dad have proven time and time again, I'm here to care for you. They know that they can provide that sort of comfort and meet that particular need. We see this all the time. People ask me for help for weddings, for funerals, when they've got uh, issues in their life they need prayer for, when they want to have theological conversations, right? Nobody is calling me to get help on their engineering project, right? Like nobody's ringing me up and be like, Jeremiah, what do you think about the newest, newest developments in the world of surgery, right? Like nobody cares what I think about that. So when we cry out for help, there is a belief that that person we're calling upon can help us because of their expertise, because of what they provide. So what do we believe about Jesus? Like what are we calling out to him for? Right, so if you're calling out for help, then that's the question I want you to ask. What are you typically calling out to Jesus for? And what you say in response to that question tends to reflect what you really believe about him. Right? And so let's evaluate that for a moment. And, and here's what I would say tends to happen, okay, is that it's not hard for us to look to Jesus and over time or maybe almost instantaneously kind of transition him into some form of a magical genie in the sky that's there to grant our wishes, right? So, so we tend to call out for him for help for all the things that we want, right? So like, help me with my job, help me with my family, help me with my finances, help me with, you know, my diseases, all these different things. Now hear me, there is nothing wrong with that, right? I do believe God cares about every aspect of our life. I do believe that God is in the details. However, there are times where we can get distracted and lose sight of the fundamental belief of this gospel. Right, that what Jesus came to do was not just to walk this earth so that you could have a great job. Right, he didn't didn't go through all that he did and healed all that he healed and taught all that he taught just so that your family could be nice and neat. He came and he took on flesh to save us from sin and death. That's what we call out to him for. Right? And, and I'm not saying stop praying for and stop asking for all those other things. Please continue. But don't let that distract you. He is not just someone sitting in the sky waiting to grant every wish and every desire. You call out to him because you need saving from sin and from death. That's what we believe. That's why we cry out. So then you can follow that progression, right? I've called out to him because I believe he can save me from sin and death. Well, how do you know that? How have we arrived at that belief? It's because you've heard it, right? You've heard the story. You've heard the message. 
But let's make sure we really understand what, what we mean by that word hearing, okay? Because uh, it's, it's much more in-depth than a lot of times we often associate it with the gospel. This is more than just some background music that you hear at a coffee shop. Right? It's not that sort of hearing. Right? It's not the sort of listening skills that sometimes we're guilty of showing other people when they're trying to talk to us and we're still answering a text message. You've all been in that situation, right? It's like you're not really listening. You think you are, but you're not. And, and so that's not what we're talking about. When you see the word hearing, it means comprehend. It means understand. And I think we need to take some time to really reflect on this this morning because too often what happens to us is that we treat the gospel like background music at a coffee shop. Right, like we got all these other things that we're doing and God's over here talking to us, but we're still just focused on all these other things. So like we hear it, but not really. We don't take the time to really stop and comprehend and understand what he has done. And so I, I wanna do that for just a brief moment, right? I, I want us to be a church where you grow so tired of hearing the gospel over and over again that you can't help but understand it and know it, comprehend it, and articulate it to others. And so let's reflect on it just for a moment. What is it that we have heard? What is it that we understand? Here are some really critical components. Number one, there is a God and you are not him. And we can chuckle at it Right, Because we all know that few of us, none of us really, walk around claiming to be some deity. right? But here's the reality, is that every single one of us chooses an authority for our life, do we not? Every single one of you have chosen some authority to help shape how you live, your ethics, your dreams, your ambitions, your mission, whatever it is. And more often than not, we want ourselves to be that authority. Right? We won't claim to be the center of the universe, but we'll claim to be the center of our own. And that is one of the fundamental issues that we've got to comprehend, is that it is our tendency to put God aside and maintain the authority for ourselves so that we get to determine what's right and wrong, good or evil, all those different things. And that is one of the fundamental things that we have to overcome. That there is a God and it is not you. The authority that you should trust is not your own. Proverbs tells us there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. We have to comprehend that. We have to hear that and understand that. Which leads us to another fundamental point. We are all inherently sinful, right? You, you can't say that enough because there is a rhetoric, there is a, a, a worldview, there is a belief system out there that is so easy to gravitate to that says, actually, we're all inherently pretty good. We just get corrupted by other bad people. And, and that is not anything we can really embrace. And the reason is because of children, right? If you question it, like if people are inherently good or evil, have a child. I'm just telling you, okay? They are sweet, they are beautiful, they are good, and they are wicked little creatures, they do, man, they are. And I'm not kidding you. It doesn't matter where you go, everywhere in the world, every culture, doesn't matter the worldview, doesn't matter the religion, every set of parents on this globe teaches a child what it means to obey. Right? None, no parents are sitting there going, now let me tell you, you've never disobeyed before, so let me explain to you how this works. Here's how you go against my rules, right? Like, they inherently know how to do this. So even if you're teaching them a different worldview or ethic or religion, children still have that inherent disposition. You can see it. And we all know it. 
right? And that never changes. Just as we get older, we get better at camouflaging it, right? And, and masking it and hiding it. We're sinful. Comprehend that. Understand that. Hear it. Which then leads to the third point. There's nothing you can do to fix it. Right, see, what'll happen is because we're broken, because we have all this angst and these missing parts of our soul and, and we have all these inherent tendencies to make mistakes and hurt others, we will do everything we can to try to make ourselves feel better. We'll do everything we can to try to find meaning and significance and fulfillment in life. And so we'll fill our lives with all the things that can numb us to that reality, distract us from that reality, and give us some sense of fulfillment. So we'll pour our whole existence into our jobs. We'll pour our whole existence into our families, into uh, notoriety, to success, whatever it is. And we'll think that that might be the way to fix all of this and give us fulfillment. And it won't. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're probably sitting there going, but hold on, Jeremiah. I know a lot of people who have done just that, right? Who don't believe in God, have great jobs, great families, or good people. And they seem really, really happy. So how do you know that none of that really works? And, and I would tell you that absolutely that can be the case. Absolutely there are people out there that have no faith, no background, and have built really, really great, meaningful lives. But here's why I tell you that it still hasn't worked. Because no matter what they've chosen to build their life upon, you know what it can't do? It can't save them from death. There is no job you can find that can save you from death. There's no family that you can build that allows you to escape that inevitability. None of it can rescue you from what it is that really plagues you, which leads, you, leads me to my fourth point. We have to comprehend and understand the meaning of death. Right, it's interesting because most of us uh, just inherently want to get online and Google, what's the meaning of life? And that's like the greater question that a lot of people really explore. And sometimes I wonder if we would actually get a greater insight and a greater awareness if we would ask the more morbid question and say, what's the meaning of death? Why is death here? See, a lot of times we don't ask that question because we think it's just nature, right? It's just the circle of life. Hakuna Matata, man, this is how things happen. And we just we just embrace it, and we don't ever actually stop and reflect. But why is it here? And yet we should, shouldn't we? Because what we see every time we encounter death is something sets off deep within our souls that it is not natural. Allow the pain of death to come into your world through the loss of a loved one, the loss of a parent, a child, a friend. Feel the pain of grief rip within your soul and experience that reaction within that says this is not as it should be. Why do you feel that way? Because death is not as it should be. And the reason it's here, what the scriptures teach, is because our God, who is our creator, because of our rebellion, because of our choosing to go our own way, to be our own authority, that has created a separation. And there is no life apart from him. And so death is the one reminder across every culture, across every corner of the globe, that we are separated from our creator and there is nothing we can do to fix that but to cry out for help. And he 
And he alone is the one that can restore. We have to comprehend this. We have to hear it. Which leads to that last point, and then I'll continue. He has offered everlasting life. (laughs) How amazing is that? Then in the middle of our desperation, in the middle of, of our awareness that there is nothing we can do, we discover that our creator is rich in love and rich in mercy and sent his goodness running after us. And that through Jesus, whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Right? That, that his mercy that is found on the cross gives us the forgiveness for our sins and his resurrection from the grave shows us that death has been defeated. You have to comprehend, understand, and hear this message. And when you do, you believe he's the one to call upon when I need that rescue. Now how do you come to comprehend, understand, and hear such an incredible message? Unless someone preaches. It's interesting, this, this continuation to the idea of preaching. I don't know what you typically think of when you hear the word preaching, but if I had to venture a guess, it's a little bit about what's happening right now, right? You tend to imagine someone standing on some form of a platform or a stage or at a conference, right, that they are then communicating in some one-directional monologue something about the Bible, right? That that's a, a predominant picture of preaching, and, and yes, that is true, it's also incredibly limited. And so I want us to expand our thought process on what does it mean to preach? Because the term in and of itself really just means to proclaim, right? To, to ultimately try to persuade, to urge, or to warn someone else. And what I want us to recognize is that preaching can happen in so many different ways, in so many different settings, in so many different tones and contexts. It does not require a platform, a stage, or the title of pastor, right? Preaching can take place around the dinner table. It can take place in a coffee shop. It can take place in a discussion, in hushed tones, in excited tones. It can take place in all different settings and circumstances. And that's how you begin to hear and understand. So here's what I want to do for a second. I want you to think, who is it? that preach this gospel to you. And what I mean by that is who is it that helped you hear, helped you understand so that you came to believe? Who was it? I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think of that person by name. I want you to see their face. Maybe it's more than one. Maybe it was mom and dad. Maybe it was a youth pastor, a combination of some others. I want you to think about the people that helped you make an awareness and an understanding of this gospel. And I want you just in your heart for a moment to thank God for him. Just say a prayer of praise and thank God for the way that they were faithful to bring this to your life. And I want you to keep your eyes closed for a moment. And in that spirit of gratitude, I want you to ask God, who is he asking you to preach to now? Who is he asking you to share this hope, to share this message with? Who is he bringing in your life? Maybe you see that person immediately. Pray for them by name. Maybe you don't picture anyone, so ask God to send someone into your life. 
but recognize that we come to hear, comprehend, and understand. We come to believe. We come to call on him because someone has taken the time to proclaim, to persuade, to urge, to warn, to preach the good news. You can open your eyes. We'll continue in prayer in a little bit. I want us to think through the responsibility of what it means to take this gospel. You do not have to be a lifelong believer. There's not some special class that you have to go through before you are allowed to go out there and share the good news. Right? You could have been a believer for 20 minutes or 20 years, and you are equipped to share this good news because if you know what you believe, you can explain to someone else why you believe it. And that gives you a testimony. That gives you a message. And so recognize that God has gifted you this message to go and preach. Who is he sending you to? Take that message. That's really what commitment looks like. At the end of the day, when we ask what is our response to this gospel, that's it. It doesn't matter your personality style, whether you're introverted or extroverted, whether you're comfortable with public speaking or you're not, doesn't matter. God's going to use you in unique ways in all these different environments and settings to bring the hope of Jesus to others. That's the response. That's the commitment. How do you know? Because he has sent you. Right, I mean, that, that's the heart of this passage. That's where Paul is really ultimately trying to take us, that though, how can you preach unless you are sent? And let's not lose sight of the fact that God, upon the ascension of Jesus Christ, allowed Jesus to look to his disciples and all those who would follow him, and he commissioned them, go and make disciples. That is our task. As long as we have life, as long as we have breath in our lungs until he calls us home, our one responsibility is to go and make disciples. You have been sent. It's not a question of has he sent you, but where has he sent you? And I want you to think about that for a little bit. And I want you to give some thoughtfulness to that. Is where, where is God sending you? Right? And, and to recognize <clears throat> that the reason he's sending you, <clears throat> excuse me, is to proclaim this gospel. I mean, that, that's it. And so think about all the different environments where that could take place, be that beyond these walls or within them, right? What I want you to hear this morning is that you are not at school just to get good grades. Like he has sent you into your school to those peers so that you can bring the hope of Jesus to those people, right? He hasn't positioned you in your workplace just so you can bring home a paycheck, and earn a title. He has sent you to those places, to those people, so that you can bring the good news to others. That's why you're in your neighborhood. You're not there just because you like the house, and you like the school district, and you like the proximity. Like, you are there so that you can go and meet the names of the people that live around you, hear their stories, and bring the hope of Jesus to them. Right? Think about what it looks like to serve within this church. Right? Think about that. If you decide to sign up and go deliver food on a weekly basis, you're not being sent out just to hand people groceries. You're being sent out in hopes that you get a chance to interact with them and share the good news of Jesus with them. You volunteer in the children's ministry, you are not there just to keep watch over children to make sure they don't kill each other. Please do that. But you're there for more. You're there to rock babies 
to sing over them, to pray over them, to show them the love of Jesus. You volunteer with youth. You're not there just so that we can say our Wednesday night programming is fun. You're there so that you can invest in people during one of the most significant developmental seasons of their life so that they can hear about Jesus. Now, you feel called to foster and adopt. Man, you're not just being sent to do that so you can feel like what it is to have a family. You're being sent to, to brokenness, to a family, to parents. You're being sent to a system so that they can see the good news of Jesus. He is sending you. It's not a question of has he, but where. And here's how I'll close. I'll wrap us up with this. Um, no matter where he has sent you, there is something beautiful about it. But I love the way that, that Paul just brings this to such a poetic ending. Once again, he refers to scripture. He quotes Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's a portion of Isaiah that, that talks about the people coming out of exile and Israel being restored. And, and Paul's, Paul's point here is that if that was good news, if, if that was something that was so celebrated, how much more so will we celebrate when people come to tell us not just of a kingdom being brought out of exile, but a God who has sent his one and only son that we can have everlasting life. How beautiful is that? And so here's, here's what I think is interesting about that. Let me, give me a second to try to unpack this for you. The word beautiful can also be translated as timely, which was interesting, right? And so here, here's how that lands with me, okay? Uh, here's what'll happen inevitably when you get fired up for Jesus and start figuring out where you're gonna go serve and all these different things that you're gonna do. Uh, you're gonna start romanticizing the idea of what that's gonna look like. You'll be like, man, I'm going to Guatemala. It's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna build this house. These people are gonna be like, the children are gonna love me. It's just gonna be incredible. Right? I'm gonna serve in children's ministry. It's gonna be epic. I'm gonna go to youth. I'm gonna go to college. I'm gonna go deliver food. I'm gonna adopt. I'm gonna foster. It's gonna be incredible. And you're gonna romanticize the idea. And here's what's gonna happen. Those expectations won't be met. I guarantee it. And what you'll discover is that when God sends us and we serve and we commit, commitment is hard. And in that difficulty and that hardship can oftentimes discourage you and cause your commitment to waver, right? What you'll discover is that the child you just cared for and decided to foster, they're really difficult, the family's really difficult, the system's really broken, right? You'll discover that uh, serving in ministry is not easy. You'll discover that mission trips, like flights get delayed, you get jet lag, you get sick, all these different things happen. And, and what we have to understand and comprehend in all of that is that it's not about your expectations. It's about being faithful to the one who is faithful to you. Because even Paul, as bold and courageous as he was, was met with resistance every step of the way. Right? He went into synagogues and they rejected him. They chased him out of cities. They uh, beat him. They imprisoned him. Look at Jesus. His closest friends abandoned him. They fled. The Pharisees mocked, put him under a false trial, and crucified him. Right? So, so your expectations, it's not about you. It's about being faithful to the one who is faithful. And what we discover 
is that even when our expectations aren't met, and even in the difficulty of it, it's beautiful. And the reason we can say that is by understanding the timeliness of the gospel. That God revealed himself at just the right time, in just the right way, so that we could call upon him. That now we have a message of everlasting significance that never perishes, spoils, or fades. And what that means is that there is never a wrong time to share good news. It's always beautiful. So set aside your expectations and recognize the importance of just being faithful and honoring what it is that he's calling you to do. Responding with that sense of commitment. Responding with that sense of courage. And we can celebrate together over and over and over again the beauty of this gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are and what you do for us. God, it goes beyond words. It goes beyond comprehension. And I pray for every single heart that is in this room, God, that you would meet them exactly where they are. God, that you would set a fire ablaze within their soul. God, that you would whisper in hushed and yet very pronounced tones that they would feel your presence and know exactly what you're calling them to do. God, that you would give them wisdom and strength and courage to be obedient, to be found faithful. God, that all of us would be able to respond in such a way, not that we try to become the heroes of our own story, God, but that we just simply become the messengers of yours. God, that we know that we are sent not by our own authority, but by yours, that we carry not our own message, but we carry this gospel, this good news. And no matter where we are, if we can disclose it, declare it, and proclaim it with urgency, with goodness, with love, and it is always beautiful. Give us the wisdom to know how to do that. Give us the, the understanding to do it with compassion, with grace, with mercy. God, we thank you. We thank you for this gospel. Thank you for sending us. Thank you for sending others who have preached it to us. Help us to continue to hear, comprehend, and understand so that we can believe with every fiber in our being what you have done, that we would call on you every day of our life. We would truly believe in our hearts that you have raised Jesus from the dead and we can declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, for it is in his precious and holy name that we pray. Amen and amen.